Welcome to Coach House Talks. Morning, everybody. <clears throat> so for those of you who remember last time I spoke, uh, the week before I spoke, I got a bit of a cold. And ends up going down, makes you cough and stuff like that. And I got to the end of the ministry and I couldn't quite really finish it because I, I just couldn't, uh, I, I was coughing too much. Well, guess what's happened this week? So um, we've got a bottle of something here. And if I need to swig from it, then that's what we'll do to help us to get through. Because uh, I actually more or less almost lost my voice on Tuesday. Um, so, yes, but welcome to today's uh, episode in the series that uh, we're deal- doing called Dealing With. And today's episode is Dealing With Wealth. Which, um, I don't know why Andy picked me to do this. Just because I'm the treasurer doesn't mean to say that I'm actually qualified to speak on this. Um, because I know nothing about money. So, you know, here we go. Um, <clears throat> and to be honest, isn't this the one topic that we would rather avoid? Isn't it? Money, possessions, wealth. These things are difficult topics to talk about in church. Money. It's a tough subject. And you know that feeling when the speaker starts, starts talking about money. Immediately, you're going to presume that this sermon is going to end with your being told to put more money in the offering box. Well, no need to worry about that this morning. But on the other hand, what's the point in me speaking if I don't make you think about something in your life? You see, as I was preparing to speak, over the last few weeks, what's the media been full of? There's a lot of talk about the £20 a week universal credit top-up. We've had a budget. The price of gas and electricity is going up, isn't it? The ever-rising cost of petrol. In fact, actually, the cost of vegetables is going up as well, isn't it? Everything's going up. All the prices are going up. And I can't imagine that any of us here today have heard these reports and haven't been concerned for ourselves, maybe, or for someone else we know. It's concerning, isn't it? It takes our attention. Let me illustrate this for you a little bit. Uh, And Morgan's now worrying because this is not in the original set of notes. So, cost of things. You know, I was passing a cake shop recently. Cake is very good for Christians, isn't it? Christians survive on cake. And in the window it said, all cakes are pound. So the cakes looked quite nice, so I went in. And I selected a cake and went to the till. The shopkeeper says, that'll be two pounds, please. But in the window it says, all cakes are pound. Yes, he said, but that's Madeira one. (laughs) Money. Money, it's a tough subject. But let me tell you this. Understanding what to do with your money is not a piece of cake. Now, money can cause huge problems. Sometimes it's too much money. But more often, it's a lack of money that causes 
most problems. Most of these problems are rooted in the fact that not all of us have the same amount of money or wealth. At the beginning of this series, our sister Becca spoke about dealing with injustice. In her message, she talked about what happens when people are not treated fairly. There are some people in the world who are trying to get ahead. To make money or to gain favour. And they do this by exploiting people who are weaker or less fortunate than themselves. This is what she wrote. God wants people to be treated fairly and to be kept safe. That is because all people bear the image of God. Every person has a little piece of who God is inside of them. Every person shows something of God to the rest of the world, and that needs to be protected. God is immeasurably more valuable, and everyone that has a little piece of God also has great worth. We need to treat each other with respect that God's image comes with. Becca went on to quote from James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their adversity and to keep oneself unstained by the world. <clears throat> Perhaps it's not the money or the wealth that's the problem, but rather what we do with it. We might not be responsible for social injustice, but we are responsible if we have the means to intervene and fail to do so. It was Jesus who told us that there would always be poor people in the world. He didn't say this because God had planned it that way. Far from it. He said this as a sad recognition that there are consequences arising from the way people behave. So here's the key question this morning. How can we care for orphans and widows or the poor if we were all poor? And hopefully we'll be able to answer that question through this morning's study. Now before we go any further, we need <clears throat> to remind ourselves that our perspective for this topic is the book of Ecclesiastes. We're considering the matter in the light of what Solomon observed about humanity when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. You might recall that <clears throat> in setting the tone for this series, our pastor Andy brought us a reasoned and considered overview of Ecclesiastes in four episodes. In that series, we learned that all of creation and everything in it is meaningless. There is no special meaning to any created item. And that includes money, if we take that item in isolation. God created all things, so all things do have some meaning. But when we separate the items from God, they become meaningless. The only real meaning which we can place on anything is by considering it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Only by Jesus Christ does anything make any sense. So what does it say in the book of Ecclesiastes about money or 
more accurately about wealth. Well, I'm going to read from chapter 2, um, and I make no excuse for the fact that <coughs> Daniel used exactly the same scripture last week. That's clearly because it's important. Um, when God wants to say something, he doesn't say it once. He says it twice or maybe even three times. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. <clears throat> I denied myself no pleasure. I even found pleasure in hard work, <clears throat> a reward for all my labours. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. <clears throat> now the writer of these verses, Solomon, had what most of us want. He had unlimited resources. If he wanted something, he just bought it. He never had to ask the price first. He didn't have to check his bank balance to see if he could afford to buy something. I don't think Solomon ever got to the end of the week wondering whether he would be able to afford to eat that day. He would never have questioned whether he could afford to put the heating on or not and he didn't need a £20-a-week top-up to see himself through. Money. It's a tough subject. And it's hard speaking. Now let me tell you something that might surprise you. All of you here this morning are wealthy. I know it might not feel like it to some of you, and I appreciate that life can be hard, but here's the basic facts. Across the world in 2020, average earnings were £6,273 per year. That's just an average. One third of the world's population survives on less than £2 a day. That equates to about £700 a year. 
<clears throat> here in the UK, average salaries are around £31,000 per year. Sadly, there are people on low incomes, but even for the lowest paid, the comparisons are quite stark. At 16 years old, the minimum wage is £4.62 an hour. Now, just think. For one hour's work, that is already double what one-third of the world has to survive on per day. And if you work a 40-hour week, that's £9,240 a year. So anyone earning this amount is comfortably in the top half of the world's earnings league. If you listed every person in the world in order of how much you earn, that's all seven billion of us, you would find that every single one of us here this morning would be in the top 10%. In fact, most of us would be in the top 5%. Maybe that surprised you. Maybe your circumstances make these facts very difficult to accept. Perhaps this is all meaningless. And if you're thinking that this is meaningless, good news, you're right. It is all meaningless, unless you're considering it through the lens of Jesus Christ, because only through the lens of Jesus Christ does anything ever make sense. Now, where's this leading? Because without context, it's meaningless. How often have you thought, I wish I had a bit more money? Well, you're not alone, because surveys suggest that most of us would feel happier if we earned about 20% more than we do now. This is just an average. Some people will want more, and some people would be happy with what they have. I hope that as Christians, we would be happy with what we have. But the problem is that we live in a world that always wants more. <clears throat> it's unavoidable. We can't escape it. The world around us has values that are not God's values. And unfortunately, these values have a bad habit of misleading our thoughts. Just look at Solomon. It's very clear that he had issues with consumerism and kleptomania. Okay, so some of you won't know that word. It means compulsive collection of things, buying stuff for the sake of buying it, yeah? But despite this, when all was said and done, he had the wisdom to understand that nothing he had built and nothing that he had owned had any lasting value or meaning. In chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel, Jesus is met by a man. The man asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him simply that he must keep the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> now, the young man must have been happy to hear that because he gladly told Jesus that he had indeed kept the commandments since he was a young boy. But then Jesus had one more requirement of the man. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. 
Now, the initial excitement that the man had felt um, <coughs> in the first conversation was clearly now snuffed out. Because Mark notes that the man's face fell and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Reading the story in Luke's Gospel, because most of these stories are in, uh, in, in two or three or four Gospels, uh, Luke puts it slightly differently, saying, the man was very rich. So, there we go. I guess he had something in common with us, didn't he? Yeah, he was probably in the top 10% in the world's earnings league. Money. It's a tough subject. Have you ever heard this saying, money is the root of all evil? Hmm? It's a phrase often trotted out when someone is observing the effect of money on somebody's life. It gives us the impression that money is universally bad. And I'm sorry to say that there are some churches that actually teach this. Now, unfortunately, this phrase is a misquote of Scripture. 1 Timothy 6.10 actually says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Can you see how this played out in the story of the rich young man? <clears throat> Jesus knew the man's bank balance, and he also knew that right now, for this specific person, money was going to be a problem. And in order to be able to walk with Jesus, the young man would need to get rid of the money. Now, let me be clear here. This approach was specific to the young man concerned. It does not mean that we all have to empty our bank accounts in order to follow Jesus. And I'm sure that's good news. So what are we saying here? Let's look a bit more about what Paul wrote in chapter 6 of the letter to Timothy. In verse 9, he says, People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. So we can see here that there are two principal reasons for people to be drawn away from God. A longing or a desire to be better off and a love of money. And at the root of these two reasons is the fact that the people to whom it refers have forgotten that money is meaningless. Unless it's viewed through the lens of Jesus Christ. So, it seems that the love of money is indeed the root of all kinds of evil. So should we get rid of all our money and possessions? Well, let's part that question for a moment. And remember the question we asked at the beginning. Can we care for orphans and widows or the poor if we were all poor? Well, we can get more insight into this again from what Paul wrote to Timothy. <clears throat> This is what Paul said. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can take nothing with us when we leave. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, last week, you'll remember that our brother Daniel brought us a message about contentment. <clears throat> And he spoke about 
the lack of contentment in worldly matters that Solomon had found and later wrote about in Ecclesiastes. Daniel told us how all this was meaningless. And that's because meaning and true contentment only come through the lens of Jesus Christ. In the scripture we just read, Paul is speaking about a different kind of wealth to that of money or possessions. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. This is a wealth that cannot be destroyed. It is a part of the treasure that we store up in heaven for eternity. Okay, and it might surprise you to learn that Paul didn't consider it wrong to have money or possessions. In verse 17, he wrote, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. There we go. It's okay to be well off as long as you do something good with the wealth. Here's an example. After Jesus was crucified, he needed to be buried. And two men stepped forward. The first of these was Joseph of Arimathea. And Matthew's Gospel says, As evening approached, Joseph, a man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Again, the scripture gives no indication that there's anything wrong with the fact that Joseph was rich. In fact, had this not been so, he couldn't have provided for Jesus' needs. Look at what it cost him. Linen was not cheap. But this was the least of the costs. He gave up his own tomb. Now this would have been very expensive to have prepared. And Joseph probably wouldn't have had time to prepare another one now for himself. You've got to consider that Joseph's view of the afterlife and eternity would be a little bit different to ours. And to give up his eternal resting place would have been an enormous cost to him personally. On top of all this, he was revealing himself as a follower of Jesus. And that could have cost him his life. The second man who's involved here was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And he'd come to Jesus one night and asked what he had to do to receive eternal life. Now that event happened right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And now, right at the end, Nicodemus is coming back into the story. John chapter 19, verse 38 says, When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. 
With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought with him about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. 75 pounds, that's 30 kilos, yeah? That was the appropriate amount for the burial of a king and would have cost him an absolute fortune. I can't even put that into today's terms. It's a huge amount of money. Nicodemus was willingly giving one of his most expensive possessions. And just like Joseph, there was nothing wrong with Nicodemus being well off. If he hadn't been quite so well off, then who would have paid for the perfumed ointment? Just like us, Joseph and Nicodemus were in the top 10% in the world's earnings league. That's money. It's a tough subject. So what are we to make of all this? Should we become poor? Is it okay to be rich? Remember, Jesus told us that there would always be poor amongst us, but we're all in the top 10% in the world's earnings league. So what about that question we parked earlier? <clears throat> Should we get rid of all our money and possessions? Well, if we were to do that, how would we care for orphans and widows and the poor? It isn't the money that's evil, it's the love of money that's the root of evil, the desire to hold on to it. If we look again at chapter 6 of Paul's letter to Timothy, we see that Paul dispenses a little more than advice. He gives a command. Verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. <clears throat> in this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. The Apostle John wrote in his first letter, <clears throat> If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You see, wealth is meaningless unless it's viewed through the lens of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we're blessed by people who are faithful and generous. A couple of months ago, our brother Paul Chandran was in need. Now, for those of you who don't know, Paul is a missionary in India, and he survives on donations from churches like ours who've been called by God to support his work. On this occasion, he had an unforeseen bill, and he asked us directly if we could help. <clears throat> we asked you if you would contribute towards meeting this need. And I have to say, I was amazed by the amount of money that came in. And what that meant was that as a church, we were able to meet Paul's need in full. Now, 
We might not have been able to do that if we hadn't all been in the top 10% in the World's Earnings League. We are blessed. And if you're worried that you missed out on contributing towards Paul's needs, don't worry. You'll soon get another chance. Because our brother Andrew Shepherd is coming here in four weeks' time, <coughs> and he'll be speaking about Fountain of Peace, which is an orphanage in Uganda. Wouldn't it be nice to bless him with a large offering towards this life-saving work? I did say I wasn't going to tell you to put anything off in the offering box, and that's true. I'm only suggesting rather than telling. So, to sum it up, <clears throat> money, or more accurately wealth, is a subject that most of us would rather avoid. But we can't. Jesus will not allow us to avoid the issue. If we don't actively consider what we're doing with our wealth, then we are passively avoiding the issue. Now, to be honest, there are infinitely more needs out there than you as an individual will be able to meet. But you should be meeting somebody's needs. Whether that's directly looking after someone you know or supporting a specific missionary, as I think many of you already do. Or whether it is more general support which you give by just giving to the church or to a missionary organisation generally. You should remember what Paul wrote. <clears throat> Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It is good, brothers and sisters, to take time to pray about who and how you can bless with your time or your money or your possessions. And you'll notice I've thrown time in there as well because time is a valuable commodity and one which I, for one, don't give enough of and I really ought to. But it's one of those things that we have to give. Money. It's a tough subject. But if we want to avoid it becoming meaningless to us, we have only one choice. We must see it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.